Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and other experts in the food and beverage industry about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Most Americans are trained from a very young age to prefer quote-unquote pretty things or people, and it's really ingrained in our culture that beautiful is better. For most Americans, this even applies to what they eat. A recent Harris poll found that 8 in 10 Americans say that finding fresh produce that is not blemished or misshapen in any way is at least somewhat important to them, and 43% say it's very or extremely important to them. In fact, it's so important that beauty trumped other on-trend values, including whether a food was locally grown organic, and the retailer's food waste practice. But by catering to this value, especially when so-called ugly produce is just as nutritious as perfectly shaped fruits and veggies, it's a missed opportunity for retailers and manufacturers. By using misshapen or scarred produce, manufacturers and retailers could improve the margins while generating higher sales by re-spinning the issue as a way to reduce food waste, which is another upward-trending value among many consumers. Not to mention the benefit for suppliers and farmers who are now able to sell produce that otherwise might be left in their fields and reworked back into the soil. To better understand the full potential behind the marketing or use of ugly fruits and vegetables, as well as the extent of the missed opportunity and damage caused by dismissing this produce, I caught up with Jordan Figueredo, who is the founder of EndFoodWaste.org and a comical and educational Twitter handle, at UglyFruitAndVeg. To kick things off, I asked Jordan to give us the lay of the land and explain how he became one of the leading figures in this fight against food waste. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I was developing an industry event called the Zero Food Waste Forum. It was kind of bringing a lot of people together around preventing waste of food and, and ending or uh, preventing hunger as well. And then I also was uh, uh, developing or managing Feeding the 5,000 Oakland, which was feeding 5,000 people food that would have been wasted mostly in a cosmetically different produce. And so I kind of got hooked from there into this issue because it's really such a low-hanging fruit issue, pun intended, that... Uh, we're wasting all this good produce, roughly 20 billion pounds, somewhere around 20, 25% of all produce before stores, and mostly because of cosmetic reasons. And those reasons are kind of uh, ridiculous because mostly it's size, whether something is too small or too big for the you know, preferred size to fit on the shelf and stack and, and you know, whatever big size it is usually is, is the reason. There's also other reasons. Uh, things, you know, get slight little scuffs or scars on them because of wind or, you know, the whole growing process. It's, nature isn't, doesn't grow thing every, you know, all the same. Things don't, you know, that they're supposed to grow perfectly, you know, shaped. So there, there is misformations or, you know, things grow stuck together or maybe there's discoloration sunburns on things. That's common. Um, but overall, the biggest cause of the, quote, ugly produce is size. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things that I think Americans will think when they look at these misshapen or gigantic produce is that it might be somehow inferior. I know that my mother has ingrained in my mind to buy the little zucchinis because the big ones are woody and spongy and terrible. 
Um, can you talk about, you know, is there any truth to this? Is there any nutritional difference or wholesomeness to these ugly produce versus ones that are perfectly shaped? Well, it does seem that um, flavor-wise, the stuff that's much, much bigger often doesn't have a good taste. Maybe it's too high in water content or it's not fully ripe yet. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the stuff we get in the stores isn't really all the way ripe. Um, I have read some studies that stuff that is smaller has been tested to have higher sugar content, so it's sweeter. I've also read some studies, really minimal studies in this one, on uh, sometimes when produce fights off like a pest or a bug, it can create higher um, nutrients uh, or nutrient content. It's like it generates uh, internally more nutrients because it's fighting off that pest, so like a, a slight little you know, bend or something because a pest bit it doesn't affect the produce, but, yeah, it can create that. I'm not, you know, aware of too much research on that part, so I wouldn't go as far as to say all ugly produce is better for you, but it certainly is at least the same, um, and the smaller stuff does seem to taste sweeter, uh, too. Okay, so maybe size matters a little bit in this context, but... What about these carrots that have five legs or these rutabagas that are two-legged? Is there any nutritional right. difference with them? I don't think so. I mean, they grow. The one thing you can possibly point to is that people will say, oh, when they see a you know, misformed produce or misformed uh, fruit or vegetable, they think, oh, my God, where is this GMO? And actually, the stuff that has on the whole, you know, being really general here, is the stuff that has more modifications, genetic modifications or, you know, pesticide sprays or whatever is the stuff that looks more perfect because that's the whole idea behind the science is to grow things that don't have issues or fight off pests more or whatever the, you know, the reason is. So on the whole, organic or stuff with less sprays tends to have more slight differences like organics can, organic apples can have more spots on them, which are, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it just looks different. So... I guess that's one way to look at it is that if you're erring on the side of um, the differences in appearance and if, if that's better for you or not, maybe. And I've had a lot of people actually tell me that they always go for the stuff that does have the blemishes because their parents told them they were those things fought off pests or they don't have GMOs or sprays on them. But there's not a lot of great research, so I guess the kind of jury's still out on, on those kinds of things. Okay, so with the question about nutrition settled, the next obvious question is what would it take to get consumers to overlook the blemishes of ugly produce and actually buy it, creating a demand in the marketplace? Well, as is often the case with many products that are underperforming, promotions and deals can help a lot. The same Harris poll we talked about earlier found only one in five adults would pay the same price for ugly produce as for the more familiar perfect produce. But according to the poll, a whopping 76% of Americans said they would willingly eat misshapen fruits and veggies as long as they didn't have to pay the same amount for it. So in other words, if they could get it at a discount. But because saying one thing is different than actually doing it, I asked Jordan what he thought about discounting misshapen produce versus simply selling it alongside its more ideal-looking counterparts. Traditionally, so far, in grocery stores, they've been selling it for 30 to 50% off for, quote, ugly produce. 
And most people I ask, I actually haven't met anybody in person. I've seen some people online comment, but I've never met anybody in person that says they would buy perfectly good produce that's just a little different looking for 30 to 50% off. Almost everybody you ask says, yes, I would buy it. Um, so I think that's the big difference is that farmers, you know, they just want to make some money off of it. Sure, they like to sell it for full price, but that's not the reality. So they do sell it for less, and that means grocers or delivery companies can charge less. So it sounds like this financial incentive works, but I mean, but how sustainable is it as a business strategy or a tactic? Well, that's, that's also the other thing, too, is that it depends on the farmer probably how much they have. Um, if it's just this last 10% of their crop and it's not a huge amount, um, then maybe it's a nice way to make some more money or in turn pay their, um, their workers more. And maybe they're not making that much, but at least they're selling more crop. Um, so it depends on the farmer. So it really, it really varies. But, yeah, long-term, you know, all produce should be sold at the same price because it's just as good. Unless it's horribly disfigured and, like, really a pain to cut, then maybe I guess that might be a difference in price. But on the whole, most ugly produce is not horribly misformed or, you know, really hideous. It's just slightly different. Um, so long-term, you know, people would become normalized to seeing it, and then it should cost just about the same. And then in a lot of small market cases, people are used to seeing it, or farmer's markets. Um, it's just the, most of where we get our produce is grocery stores, and that's where the biggest problem is because the stuff does not have – Ugly produce, mostly. Most, most stores don't. Your mention of farmer's market is they're funny because I definitely go to them here in Washington, D.C., and I feel like I pay 300% more for the misshapen tomato and the funny-shaped carrot than I would for the perfect one in the store. Right. Well, farmer, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that I, I get people telling me uh, farmer's markets are way too expensive, so they don't want to go there. But, yeah, I, I mean, with, especially when you consider – like heirloom tomatoes. I mean, those are hideous looking most of the time. Really are. They're crazy looking. And, but they, the taste is amazing, so people will buy them. And I think that could be said for a lot of other items, is if you get it at the right time, who cares what it looks like? And farmer's markets are good for that, right? They're good for selling produce that's just the right, right time to eat it because, well, one, they, you know, they couldn't sell it to a grocer and ship it a long way because then it's... Um, you know, it would take too long and it wouldn't hold. Or it's just that's what they have left. So, yeah, the farmer's market is a great place for it. But then even there, I hear plenty of people, and I used to do it too when I first started going to farmer's markets, will see ugly produce and go, wow, what's wrong with that? Because they're not used to seeing it and they wouldn't buy it unless it's discounted. Yeah, I want to continue to talk about this financial side because obviously the discount is the carrot to get people to um, buy this produce. But... um. There's also a big financial impact in terms of food waste on companies and consumers and social services that have to deal with all of this ugly produce that ends up in a landfill. Can you sort of explain that landscape? Sure. So, I mean, most of the ugly produce is left on the farm, so that's where the biggest problem is. They do donate uh, a lot to food banks, so that's great. And there's farm-to-food bank programs, which go even farther and have funding uh, for the farmers to sort of pay for that incremental cost of picking the produce and then donating it. Um, so they don't really make money off of it. They just can pay their workers to pick it. Um, so there is it, but it's, it's a massive amount of stuff that's still going to waste the, the 20 billion pounds and all that 
20 billion pounds costs money to grow, and there's, there's the water involved, the land space involved, and there is a portion that is uh, harvested and picked, but still rejected and thrown in the landfill, but mostly it's compost that are left on the farm. Um, so that's really, it's, it's not uh, landfill, but it's still a waste when, in terms of all the resources that go into it and food that's meant to be eaten. Some of it goes to animals, too. I guess I should say that also. A percentage goes to, like, feeding cows or pigs or whatever. And so, I mean, so, some of those food waste, as long as we're talking about this and money, um, even if somebody buys it, they might waste it. And I was shocked to realize that average value of food wasted per household is upwards of or exceeding $2,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's one, another reason why when I talk about produce, I focus on other things like storing it or appreciating it more because we do waste a lot of fresh produce. Uh, the whole landscape of farm to home um, to, to uh, you know, farm to, us to store to home, we waste about half of all produce because it's tricky to store it in certain ways or we buy, you know, maybe we do have those buy one, get one freeze and then the get one uh, gets wasted. So, yeah, there's a lot of things we could do to prevent food waste aside from the ugly produce thing. And storing produce is one of the biggest ways because it, other than, you know, packaged food is a lot of the stuff we buy at the grocery store, a good portion of what is at the grocery store, that lasts a lot longer, but produce doesn't. Yeah, I thought it was interesting also in the Harris poll that consumers were asked about some strategies, and one of the solutions was um, 35% saying it would help if smaller package sizes were available in grocery stores. Yeah. I think portion sizes uh, have gone up by something like 50% since the 70s, and at the same time, our food waste has gone up by 50%. I'm not sure if the numbers are exactly the same dates, but somewhere around there, it's the same thing, where portion sizes have gone up and so is food waste, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's direct the portion size, but it's a big contributor, and we also eat more, and we're heavier as a population, so that's part of it where that 50% more goes, but yeah, the sizes are a big deal, definitely. Okay, so I feel like you and I are being kind of negative Nellies here, but there's a lot, <laughs> a <little that's> bit. <laughs> so there's a lot that's being done to address this issue, including the petitions that you and Stephanie Sachs created on change.org. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you're asking Walmart and Whole Foods to do and what the reaction has been like. Yeah, so the first one was Walmart and Whole Foods because we wanted to say, look, everybody should be selling ugly produce. They can if they work on it, um, whether it's the budget-friendly shop or the high-end um, grocery store. So we talked to Whole Foods in October, uh, connected them to Imperfect Produce, didn't know what would happen, but by April they started selling with Imperfect Produce in Northern California, and that's now up to 20 stores. So it's a smaller program. I mean, they have 400 stores. They're not, you know, throwing it out everywhere, but they're working on multiple items all year round, so that's exciting. Walmart, we did a separate petition once the Whole Foods one closed, um, and we we went to Bentonville. I went to Bentonville, uh, their headquarters, and, like, the day after I announced I was going, we heard about a potato – um, program that they were selling in 400 stores or 300 stores. And then they also announced the day before I got there an Apple program. Um, so it's good that they're starting something, but what Walmart is doing is kind of making it sound like ugly produce doesn't happen all the time and everywhere. What they're selling is weather blemished from specific 
um, causes, like a bad hailstorm season or whatever with the apples. So they're not committing to working with that supplier year over year. I even asked them that in the meeting, and they wouldn't commit to anything other than just trying these two things out. Um, whereas Whole Foods is actually committing to working with Imperfect Produce, building it out. They're expanding the stores, expanding the items. So there's kind of two ways of looking at it. Yes, Walmart's putting it in a lot of stores, but there is ugly produce everywhere all year round. So there's a huge opportunity to provide the produce for less, so maybe potentially more people can eat produce. That's another thing I talk about, um, even though it's not quite the food waste messaging, but only about 87% or I mean, sorry, only about 13% of Americans eat it in their daily five fruits and vegetables. So that means 87% of us are not eating enough. So it's a big problem, and it's even getting worse. USDA put out another number. But, again, it's a huge opportunity to get people eating healthier by having this discounted produce. That's just as good. And I understand that Walmart and Whole Foods are really just the start, and you have a new petition with Target. Exactly, yeah. Well, and there's other grocers, too. We just didn't petition them. But Giant Eagle started a program in Pittsburgh, and they're now in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they're now in Ohio, too. 20, 30 stores. Hannaford started a program in New York State, and there are also, I think, 20 or so stores. And then there was a new one in Maryland. Uh, Shoppers started a small program in 20 stores, too. But, yeah, Target is our next sort of big petition because while most people don't think of them as where they get their produce, they have a lot of stores, and they're all over the country. So they can possibly, you know, plug in someone like an Imperfect or work with a supplier to get ugly produce because of the way they sell. And they have pretty low prices already, so this is a way they could even attract more shoppers for produce in their stores. Um, but that one hasn't quite gotten as much traction, probably because it's not as much of a, a magnet for attention as Walmart or Whole Foods are with everything they do. Um, but it still has like 28,000 signatures, so we're hoping they can continue on and get their attention at some point, if it hasn't already. Yeah, that'll definitely be one to watch. Um, you know, I understand why you started with retailers in order to increase access to ugly fruits and veggies, but getting it on store shelves seems to me to be only part of the battle. Um, right. You also have to convince Americans to buy them, which can be a tall order, as we sort of touched on. Um, and that same Harris poll you mentioned earlier found fewer than 3 in 10 Americans remember buying ugly produce in the past year compared to 51% who were 100% sure they did not. So I'm wondering if you can talk about your efforts to educate American shoppers that, about the beauties and the benefits of misshapen produce. Yeah, so that's basically what my campaign does uh, in the main is talk about um, the produce and highlight that, look, there's a lot of funny-looking or beautiful shapes out there. Uh, and I, I post pictures. I post other people's pictures. We make it kind of fun with some, you know, fun quotes and whatever, or I present all over with those fun pictures too. But it's basically, uh, you know, kind of telling people, look, this is perfectly okay, and this is amazing things that, that nature produces, but it's not exactly what we're seeing in stores, but there's so much being wasted, and we should be eating it. Um, and it is sort of the fun message that does attract people to it. It's not the shaming, we're wasting food, you've got to do something about it. Um, there's a little bit of that, but for the most part, it's celebrating the ugly produce with funny pictures or beautiful pictures every day of stuff that would have been rejected. Um, and the response has been tremendous. In the last just over a year and a half, it's been 
I'm like pressed just every week or two or three. I think over 200 articles now, and you know the New York Times and NPRs and Today Show. I was in a segment in Wall Street Journal. You know, everybody's talking about the uh, the issue, and it's because of the way it's fun and positive and highlighting these pictures of produce. Um, and, and it's even resonating outside the country. Most of the most of the media has been here because that's where I'm based, and that's the grocers I target and whatnot. But it's uh, been in over 20-something countries, and my followers are in 190 countries. So it definitely resonates with people all over, and it's it's been fun. Yeah, and I thought it was encouraging also to see that Harris poll found that three in five adults are at least somewhat comfortable eating these misshapen produce. So it seems like we're making some progress. Definitely, and I think once they know a little more about it, that number would go up because the survey can't really explain all the nuance to it. You know, it is just a survey. They can't go too long. But like we were saying earlier, it's the biggest problem is size. So if you explain that as what ugly produce is, then I think that number would go up. Sure. So we've talked about retailers and we've talked about consumers. And I'm wondering if we can take a quick minute to talk about the business side from the manufacturing perspective. I've noticed on trade show floors in the last couple of years, a lot of packaged food manufacturers and startups are intentionally using so-called ugly fruits and veggies and bragging about it to their buyers as a selling point. I'm curious what you see as the market potential or business benefits for this strategy. Well, it's definitely huge, and it's, that's the other thing that people don't know is they're already eating ugly produce, and most of the processed foods, whether it's canned foods or packaged food or prepared meals or even going to a restaurant, you're already eating ugly produce almost everywhere you go. It just depends on uh, the you know, chef or the chain or the grocer, and some have, you know, buy more than others. But when you cut it all up, it looks the same. So there's a huge potential if people aren't buying ugly produce to buy it instead. And especially with schools, actually, that's one of the things that Shelly Pingree highlighted in her bill, the Food Recovery Act uh, bill she proposed last year, uh, almost a year ago, that if schools started purchasing ugly produce, they could save a lot of money as well because for the most part, I've only, I only know of one school district that is purchasing ugly produce and parents I have heard can freak out when they even get organic and it looks a little different and kids may freak out. But for the stuff that you cut up, it, it looks the same when you cut it up. So there's a huge opportunity. And there are some folks like Bon Appetit Management Company that's doing it in their corporate cafes um, at a smaller scale and talking about it. And it is important for the folks that aren't doing it to talk about it. I work with Treetop on some sort of uh, awareness around what they do and I learn more about what they do. And, you know, they've been processing ugly apples and other fruit products for 50 years now. And now they're starting to talk about it with me, which is great, because then people are like, oh, ugly produce is fine. I've been drinking it or eating it for, you know, decades. So I think that's part of it, too, is just people becoming aware. And I don't see it as greenwashing. Some people do, because they think, oh, they've been doing this, you know, for this, this many years. Why does it matter? But people don't talk about it. I mean, Campbell's Soup could talk about it, right? They... And their canned soup is probably all ugly produce because you can't tell. But people don't know, and so then that kind of perpetuates this image that all the fruits and vegetables we eat are perfect when they're not, especially when they get cut up. So it sounds like companies or manufacturers can really help raise awareness by bragging about what they're already doing. And, um, oh, yeah, and there's, there's some really, yeah, there's some really cool entrepreneurs that have been starting up, like Misfit Juicery, making cold-pressed juice. 
out of Ugly Produce, and they put the messaging on the bottle. They just got like this big project with Chobani in their incubator too. So it's it's starting to take off. Watermelon Water is another one that I think Beyonce invested in that company, and they're just using watermelons, the whole watermelon, not just the flesh part, but the rind and all that, and making juice out of it. And sure, there's plenty of baby food makers and juicers that have been doing that for years, but they don't talk about it. So I think it is a great way for them to, to brag, but they're highlighting an important issue, too, that there's still a lot being wasted. So in addition to just talking about what these companies are already doing, what more can manufacturers do or what more needs to be done to bring this issue um, to the table and really address it? Well, part of it is, is trying to relax standards in some ways. I've heard that uh, there, while there is USDA standards to sort of grade produce, people can buy whatever they want, um, grocery stores, produce marketers, produce buyers, and to some degree, the produce buyers and marketers are going way above and beyond USDA, so they're making it even harder for farmers to sell their whole crop or even the majority of their crop. So I think it's relaxing standards, telling the story. Uh, there's farmers that now work with their buyers to tell the story, like the Masamotos in Fresno, California. I think it's Fresno. Um, they talk about how they're using less water because of the drought, and so their peaches are smaller. And that's, an, that's perfectly okay. They even tested it in the sweeter, too, so that helps. But I think it is working with the story and sort of changing the way we do things all across the board with ugly produce in particular. Um, so there is a lot of opportunity. It, is, it can be difficult for people to change the way they do business, so I understand how that's why things don't move maybe as fast as I, you know, we'd like to see, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity in many different directions. So clearly a lot of potential for manufacturers to take advantage of using less than perfect looking fruits and vegetables to increase their margins while also helping to reduce food waste and feed the hungry. I have to admit that as I researched the ugly fruit and vegetable movement and learned more about how it's related to the issue of food waste, I had two songs alternating through my head that I think really bring home some of these main messages. So just bear with me here. The first is Beyonce's Pretty Hurts. In the song, she sings about the damaging message that only what you wear on the outside matters and how perfection is the disease of a nation. And I think we see that here with so many Americans judging produce based on an industry standard of beauty rather than being open to a carrot with two legs or a bifurcated tomato that is just as nutritious and just as tasty. The extreme result being a strange duality of hunger and food waste in our country, as Jordan explained. The other very different song is Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi, and specifically the line about how she doesn't care about spots on her apples, but leave her the birds and the bees. And I think this speaks again to the trade-offs Jordan described, which are the environmental and financial impacts of displaying only perfect produce on retail shelves. So now that I've gotten both of those songs stuck in your heads, I want to thank you all for listening and encourage you to tune in again next week when I may or may not make pop song references in relation to various serious food issues. For Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, I'm Elizabeth Crawford.